One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In England this morning, it was back to that well-known lockdown. Until the start of December, you must stay at home. You may only leave home for specific reasons, including for education, for work. Stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives is back by unpopular demand. For the next four weeks, England is all but closed to try and get infections under control. I'm afraid non-essential shops, leisure and entertainment venues will all be closed. Pubs, bars, restaurants must close but how do we get out? How do we unlock down? Is mass testing our saviour? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and Sunday Times. I'm Luke Jones. Manveen is on the gritty come down from a US election night high. Today, the road out of the second lockdown. Mass testing is soon upon us. On Tuesday, it was announced that Liverpool would host a new pilot scheme starting Friday. The rapid testing of a large number of people, both symptomatic and asymptomatic, it is hoped, will help identify those who need to isolate to stop the spread of the virus. For later this week, Liverpool is going to become the first city in the country where people are going to be tested literally once a week to see if they have covid Oliver Wright is policy editor for The Times. One of the biggest problems in battling this pandemic has always been the sheer number of people who are infectious with COVID but simply don't have any symptoms. The government has gone on since really the beginning about if you have a continuous cough, if you have a fever, more recently if you've lost your sense of taste and smell, that's when you need to get tested. But what surveys have shown by people like the Office of National Statistics is as many as 7 in 10 people who have COVID may show no symptoms at all. So they just simply don't know that they've got it. They don't get tested. They carry on their daily lives, but they can infect other people and those people can become symptomatic. And in the worst cases, they end up in hospital and a small proportion of them die. So in order to tackle the virus, it really, really is vital to get a handle on the number of people that are asymptomatic, get them to self-isolate, and then you can really start to control the virus. And we've seen in parts of Asia, and in particular China, where they've been able to do this sort of mass testing, that it has had a pretty dramatic effect. But until now, we simply haven't had the tools to do it. Now, what has changed in the last few weeks is that scientists have now validated four of what they call these lateral flow devices. These are effectively COVID tests that you can get the results for in 15 minutes. They don't require being sent to a lab. You can mass produce them. So it's possible to get millions and millions of tests. And when you've 
got that, you can suddenly start thinking about, well, I'm going to put these tests into a city where we've got a high rate of COVID and we're just going to test everyone. The trial in Liverpool aims to find the best way for a new national system to work. Is it about putting these tests into schools and testing entire year groups in schools? Is it about putting them into care homes? Is it also about having centres across the city, possibly run by the army, where people can go and get a test, get a result instantly? What they're going to be testing in Liverpool is how this works, how easy it is to do, how many people come forward. For in order for this mass testing to work, you really do have to get everyone to come forward. And one of the big problems with testing in general is people are worried about this idea of self-isolating for two weeks, particularly if they need money for their job. They're worried about dobbing their friends in if they've come into contact with them and forcing them to self-isolate. So there's a whole lot of quite knotty issues that need to be worked out around this. The announcement of mass testing comes days after the Prime Minister addressed the nation. Good evening and apologies for disturbing your Saturday evening with more news of COVID. And I can assure you I wouldn't do this unless it was absolutely necessary. To impose a new national lockdown in England. Now is the time to take action because there is no alternative. And from Thursday until the start of December, you must stay at home. You may only leave home for specific reasons, including for education, for work... When the Prime Minister spoke to the nation, the Times science editor, Tom Whipple, was out trick-or-treating with his children. But the information imparted by TV's favourite threesome, Boris, Patrick and Chris, came as no surprise to him. The numbers in the preceding week have been pretty grim. As you can see, the weekly case rate for COVID, which is in the darker colours, mean uh, that the numbers are worse, uh, is spreading steadily. It It didn't look like the tears were working. I would slightly modify that now. I mean, we didn't really have time to see that the tears were working. One of my political colleagues had spoken to cabinet ministers who were basically saying that everything on the dashboard was flashing red. And it was quite clear that things had the potential to get out of control pretty fast. So when it came to Saturday or when it came to the leaks, I don't think anyone was particularly surprised that that was being announced. Official documents reveal that government scientific advisers called for a short lockdown some three weeks ago, but their advice was rejected by ministers. I'd spoken to plenty of members of SAGE who had undoubtedly recommended on September the 21st that we have a two-week circuit breaker. There's always Captain Hindsight, but there was Captain Foresight then that was saying we needed this. And it's quite clear that if we had had it then, at the very worst, it would have been as bad as now economically. But realistically, a lot of lives would have been saved probably. But yeah, you can't say this for certain. But what is certain from the members of the scientific advisory group for emergencies that Tom had been speaking to is that stronger measures are needed to control the spread of the virus. The people I'd spoken to, the modellers I'd spoken to, had anticipated that by Christmas we'd all be in tier three or maybe tier four. I think they thought there'd be a de facto lockdown anyway and we'd have gone into it piecemeal and slightly all that happened is we jumped the gun on that. Well, as Chris Whitty said... The idea that there is some perfect time to act is a complete misapprehension. There is basically no perfect time and there are no good solutions. All the solutions are bad. I wonder what you make of of the evidence that was presented to us on that uh, Downing Street briefing, which showed, at least in some parts of the UK, 
the tiered system starting to possibly work and lots of people have jumped on that and said look we don't need a national lockdown we should have stuck with this tiered system a bit longer what would i do if i was in charge looking back just a week maybe i'd say actually there's the slightest hints of the tiered system working and in places like liverpool it now seems to be working quite well this comes with caveats that we don't know whether for instance the initial peak was caused by large numbers of students and um, now it's in older people and spreading in them and it's continuing to go up in them those are obviously ones we care about but you have to make decisions when things are fuzzy and the fact is that even if we've plateaued at 20,000 detected cases a day that plateau has to go down it's not enough that r equals one we now have to get that number of cases down or we're just going to have an extremely long and unpleasant and probably economically more damaging winter with a lot more deaths. So there's no easy options. And the whole thing has been an extremely fine balancing act of trying to find precisely the combination of restrictions that work and that are the minimum that work. And that's what we've all been looking for. And maybe they'll have overshot again. But anyone who gives you certainty on this is a charlatan. How much political cover does the government have with this return to a national lockdown, which we know the Prime Minister didn't want to do necessarily? He's always called it a sort of nuclear option. But how much political cover have they got when you look at all the other countries, especially European countries who are having to do similar? In some ways, it's less about political cover and more about if they'd failed to act they could be under even more pressure. The fact that France made that move, Ireland made that move, was quite decisive. And if the UK had decided to take a different path, then Mr Johnson and the government would have been under intense scrutiny. Remember, Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, had already called for a two-week circuit breaker lockdown that the government had rejected. So if they had rejected another lockdown, then they would be really going out on a limb. It's more, I think, rather than political cover, it's safety in numbers. They can say, well, we're doing the same thing as Europe. We're not an outlier. This is what other governments think is necessary. And we are in line with that. And when you say a large number of deaths, the estimates that the projections vary quite a bit, don't they? And some people are taking that as evidence that the worst case has been slightly overblown. What do you say to them? It seems quite clear that they shouldn't have put one of the modelling curves on one of their graphs. slide shows the early working from two weeks ago of some of those groups looking at deaths in England over the winter period. So as you can say, see different groups come up with different answers depending on their models. They stuck on a bit of Cambridge modelling that was out of date. The authors of the modelling say it's out of date. They'd now revise it considerably down that was showing 4,000 deaths a day and that was clearly wrong already because it was already showing 1,000 deaths a day and we're, we're now about a quarter of that. But the lower modelling on that graph... What is clear from all of them in terms of deaths over the winter there's the potential for this to be twice as bad or more in terms of the first wave compared to the first wave. Which was matching our trajectory, showed it going up to 1,000 deaths a day, which is the same as or slightly exceeds what we hit at the peak of the last wave. So that's become a bit of a punch bag and understandably and justifiably so. It ignores the fact that the far more reasonable modelling was also pretty scary. And ultimately, yes, we have modelling and yes, modelling has uncertainties in it 
At the moment, we have 20,000 cases a day. Those are going to, with mathematical certainty, with virological certainty, without needing any modelling, any predictions, those are going to translate into a large number of deaths in a month. And that is already baked in, that is already locked in. With luck, we will come out of this lockdown at the point of the highest number of deaths. With luck. With luck, that'll happen. Otherwise, we'll stay in the lockdown longer. If the cases start to diminish now, we will only begin to see that diminishment in deaths at the beginning of December. Hmm. And how many deaths do we think that will be in terms of the, the, the best case scenario with luck? Um, so this is an extreme back of the envelope calculation. We're currently recording about 20,000 cases assuming that the actual number of cases is at a low end, 40,000. This is a day. Per day. And I think if we assume that about one in 200 cases die, then 40,000 over 200 is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's about 200, 200 deaths a day. So that calculation is clearly wrong for the number of cases because we've already exceeded that. So uh, God knows. (laughs) Gosh, I shall take your word for it because I can't actually do any maths. I've never knowingly completed a sum of any kind. Um, And I wonder what do the figures have to look like in terms of cases, do you think, to get us out of the lockdown? Do we know what the government is aiming for as a terms of when they review the, the, the English lockdown? The government's been very opaque on this, and I, I slightly wish just that we'd have something to aim for and some better understanding that they weren't. If I was running things, I would want R to be significantly below one and the number of cases to be at a level that our tests and trace can begin to make an impact on and can manage. I would say fewer than... 5,000 detected a day at a minimum, but this surge began when we were at about 2,000 per day, and ideally you'd be down to that or, or lower. And that's in the last lockdown, cases halved. The halving rate, which is what we now should be talking about, was about every seven days, maybe a little bit longer. So over the course of four weeks, at the absolute best, and I don't think we'll hit this, um, you could go down to an eighth the current level. An eighth current level, a sixteenth current level. Uh, You could halve it and then halve it and then halve it and then halve it. And if we manage that, then we're going to be down to between one and two thousand cases a day. I don't think we'll manage that or anything close to that because, first of all, that's the best possible estimate. And secondly, that estimate didn't include people in universities, people in schools, which we currently have, and it occurred in far better weather. So after four weeks, I would be pleased if we hit two halvings. So if we got the number of recorded cases down to about 5,000. I don't think there is an exact target. I think this again ties into testing. It buys them a bit more time. It will have an effect on the R8, you would imagine. And it gives them four weeks in which they can work up their plans for mass testing to be rolled out really at the start of December when this lockdown ends. The the critical metric they'll be looking at is hospital admissions. If they can keep that at a manageable level and indeed reduce that, I think they'll think it's been a success. You know, in some ways, the total number of cases identified matter less than the number of people who go into hospital. And in terms of trying to meet that, I wonder... 
where currently are the transmissions happening? What settings are they happening in? And how does that compare to what part of life lockdown shuts down? Because, of course, there's been lots of debates over schools are still going to be open, universities are going to be open. Is it the case that where the virus is spreading, the lockdown is shutting that part of life down? Universities have definitely been amplifiers of the spread of this. At the very beginning, over the summer, it looks like we had a lot of imported cases from people going on holiday. Um, Even though people going on holiday to places at similar case levels to us, when people are on holiday, they behave differently from when they're at home. They travel more, they go to restaurants more. And so they were bringing the virus back. It's going to remain the case that most of the transmission occurs within households. And we can't stop that because you can't stop the existence of households. Slightly key thing is not that vertical transmission, but the horizontal transmission between households. So stopping hospitality, stopping households meeting is the way to prevent that kind of spread. And I have no doubt that the lockdown will work in the crudest sense that it'll bring R below one for that kind of spread. I just don't know quite how good it'll be. If you want to get to the heart of the continued struggle to slow the spread of COVID infections with Tom Whipple, Oliver Wright and the rest of the journalists at The Times and The Sunday Times, you can subscribe today and enjoy one month free. Search thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. It's part of the problem that, that COVID is so random and we still don't know so much about how it is transmitted and, and where it is that it's really hard for us to actually get a kind of quantitative handle on it because who knows what it's up to and where it is. Yeah, I mean, we know so much more. We know how it infects us, the course progression of the disease. But yeah, there's two things that we don't fully understand yet in regards to spread. First is, of course, how it behaves. I think it's taken everyone by surprise the speed with which it, it got out of control. But the second thing we don't understand is people. People are phenomenally difficult to model, to model individually or model at scale. And no country has ever tried before to do what the world is doing at the moment. So these are two prongs of the way that we're in the dark. And that's why everyone's just feeling their way to some kind of solution. I think 
The really critical question, which no one has answered yet, is compliance. Now, clearly you are going to bring the R rate down by shutting entertainment venues, shutting pubs, shutting restaurants. There'll be less opportunities for people to mingle than perhaps, than certainly there has been up until now. But one of the key forms of transmission that we have always known is people go round to each other's houses, spending time in each other's houses. And that is where the government need the public's compliance. And what I don't think we know is whether the same degree of compliance will occur this time as occurred back in March. Now, there are two big factors in this. One is the weather. And the second is people are weary of lockdown, particularly the young who don't get this illness as severely as older people. They've already had a pretty grim six months. They're the kind of people who want to go out. Now, pubs, bars and restaurants are shut for them. Are they going to stay at home? Are they not going to mingle? Or are they going to actually think, I just can't do this, I'm not going to bother? The effectiveness of this lockdown will depend on compliance. And I think the jury is still quite out on that one. In terms of the road out of this national lockdown, is it clear what will go out into? Will it be back to the tier system? Will it be a flip-flop, as we've kind of already had, between lockdowns and no lockdowns? The government has said it wants to go back to a tier system, and that probably is what will happen. But that doesn't necessarily mean the tier system will be exactly the same as it is at the moment with these three tiers. You could indeed introduce a fourth tier, which effectively is where we are at the moment. And you could end up with you know quite large parts of the country remaining in lockdown, even though officially we've moved away from a national lockdown. But large bits of the country were still in what would be a tier four lockdown, which would, to all intents and purposes, would be exactly where we are at the moment. So even by moving to a tiered system again, you may find that the situation is not that different. They will have to make a call closer to the time. I think that's why you need a four-week lockdown, because obviously there's a lag between cases and hospital admissions, and they're going to want to see where cases are at the end of the four weeks, where hospital admissions are at the end of the four weeks, and just how effective it's been. And I think that will guide their decision-making process. I'm interested in what's going to be happening in Liverpool and if they can pull off mass testing, because I think mass testing is really hard, but in a sense, it's a lot less complicated than having to bother with the faff of contact tracing. Um, and it picks up people who are asymptomatic in a way that the symptomatic testing just doesn't. In terms of getting a handle on an entire city, we wait and see, because it's those things we don't understand how people behave. It'll need buy-in from... 65 to 80% of the population to work properly and it'll need people to realise that a negative test doesn't mean you can just run around and go about your business and it'll need people to take notice of positive tests. But if they do it and if it works, then it really is a completely different route to trying to suppress the virus. So so is the idea that this might, if it's rolled out nationally, replace the much beleaguered test and trace, NHS test and trace? It will run alongside it, and indeed, in some ways, it is part of it, because this is testing just in the same way that you would go and get a COVID test at the moment. The big difference with this is that this is a test which doesn't need to be sent off to be processed. The other problem with COVID testing is it's been taking quite a long time for the test results to come back. Then you've got to get in touch with people's contacts. Four or five days can pass before you've completed that circle, and four or five days in the lifespan of a COVID infection is a long time. But in terms of that mass testing capacity, is four weeks of English national lockdown enough time for it to be scaled up and operational for where we need it to to ensure that we don't have to go back into a national lockdown? 
It's hard to know, but it is not just politicians who are sounding optimistic. A number of the scientific advisors say these tests are there. A lot of them have already been manufactured. They are mainly sitting in, in storage in South Korea, in China, and they can be shipped over pretty short notice. The government signed a contract for £2 million for various air charter services to bring some of these tests over just in the last week. And I think they're confident that they do have millions of tests that can be deployed, and they are thinking about how they do that, and Liverpool will help inform them. And the thing about these tests is it does not need a massively complicated IT structure in order to process these tests, because you can be there and see whether you've got this test. Indeed, a lot of people think you can actually mail them out to people, and if there's a decent YouTube video, they can do them in their own homes without any need for anyone there at all. This is a much simpler form of testing than the current complex arrangement we have, where you have to have a barcode on a test tube. You've got to trace that test tube as it goes to the machine. You've got to make sure the results go to the right people. You've got to make sure all the IT matches up. And they've had to build that from scratch. And there have been quite a lot of problems with it, as we all know. This is a much simpler form of testing technology. And they're reasonably confident that they can deploy it at scale in weeks rather than months. Now, we have to see But certainly the case for optimism on this one would appear to be justified at this point, at least. But the mass testing of whole cities isn't the only way to end a lockdown. I think it's highly likely we'll get a readout on one of the vaccines before Christmas, probably another straight after Christmas, then we're going to start seeing them arriving fairly regularly. We don't know yet whether they'll be successful or not. If I was to bet, I would say that probably we'll find out that the first one, which is probably the Pfizer one, is 60-70% effective at stopping transmission. And we'll probably give these, over the course of the winter, I'd anticipate we will begin a mass vaccination programme initially in the most vulnerable people. I think for people who aren't affected, it's most likely that people not at risk aren't going to be vaccinated until the summer or until basically sort of autumn next year. So it's going to be a long and hard winter, I think. And what about Christmas? Could it be that we all are given something of a reprieve of a few days to quickly maybe crisscross around the country, cross borders, internal borders in the UK to see our friends and families and loved ones over Christmas and then get straight back to it and and the rules? Is that a possibility? God knows what they'll pull out of the bag to please their backbenchers and to please us. Anything's a possibility, but Boris Johnson's pronouncements on Christmas haven't gone terribly well so far. I think the honest answer is that most people in public health are just looking to get through November and then they will start thinking about Christmas. But unless something dramatically changes, I think it'd probably be unlikely. I think invest in small turkeys. But might the new quick testing save the holidays? It could certainly help. I think it's too soon to know how much it will help. And one thing I think I would reasonably confidently predict is that all university students will be given one of these tests before they go home. I think that's a really sensible thing to do. I think they'll have the capacity to do it, and that will make quite a big difference. Then there is the question of whether we try and embark on a mass testing before Christmas to try and pick up as many cases as you can to allow people to have a more normal Christmas. And another thing you could potentially do, and it depends how many tests they have, and I suspect we're not going to be at this level, but you could say to people, well, you can order a COVID test to arrive before Christmas 
and it's not quite go up with the stocking, but you take that test before you go and see your parents, your aunts, your uncles, the family gatherings. And that shows you at that point in time, you don't have COVID. Therefore, it should be reasonably safe for you to have that family gathering if everyone is tested. Now, clearly, in order to do that, you need to have huge supplies of these new lateral flow tests. And I don't know whether they'll have the numbers to do that. It's a big risk to try and do it, but it would be quite an eye-catching thing to do. Have you any festive plans? We'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know where we're going to be. You know, it's tricky. You, you just have to look what the regulations are and what elderly members of your family want to do. Do they feel comfortable or don't they feel comfortable? In some ways, the choice has got to be up to them. We have absolutely no Christmas plans, and I would slightly urge everyone to have no Christmas plans unless you want to be disappointed. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Luke Jones, and my guests, Times Science Editor Tom Whipple and Times Policy Editor Oliver Wright. You can read more of their work at thetimes.co.uk or by picking up a copy of the paper in print. The producer was Edward Drummond. Executive producer is Asia Fuchs. Sound design was by Carla Patella. You can now find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast, and we are now available on the new Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from The Times and Times Radio, broadcasting 24-7. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. <laughs>